Rental, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk about a couple of movies around a theme of our choosing. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm hot, sir. It is uh, I mean, practically summer here, and it, it is, it, and I am hot. Take that any way you want. It's not a visual medium, so use your imagination. <laughs> but you may, you may audibly hear me sweat during the episode. <laughs> That's fantastic, uh, and I and I definitely <laughs> won't. I definitely won't reiterate how over here it was snowing earlier this week and I was in a hot tub and it was just, you know, very, very nice and chill and not uh, boiling alive. So that's uh, that's very delightful. Um, yeah, we have uh, ourselves a, a guest on this episode and we haven't had a guest for some time pretty, since pretty much the be- near the beginning of the podcast, I think. So, Well, the pandemic's almost over. We can lift some of those restrictions and have have guests on the show again. Yes, the restrictions on virtual uh, podcasting uh, have been lifted, thank God. Uh, and to cel- help us celebrate that, we've got from the Diary of Doom podcast, Dylan Gonzalez. Dylan, are you also sweating your ass off tonight? Yes, um, I am very much living up to my home state's reputation as the armpit of the United States because it is hot and I am sweaty. Full disclosure, I am not wearing pants, just underwear because it is hot. This must be this must be an East Coast thing because I am similarly attired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> what you know? This is uh, again a, an audio medium, but just a feast for the imagination. Just picture, uh, just picturing your host. I mean, I'm wearing jeans, I guess, because uh, that felt appropriate. But uh, you know, we'll see how the night goes. I guess. Well, for the sake of audio fidelity, we will be doing without large air conditioners or fans in order to make this the very best podcast we can john at least at least the dampest podcast (laughs) it will be the most moist podcast Uh, instead of no gods no masters it's no ac no pants uh (laughs) yep at least at least for tonight um so uh speaking of tonight uh the theme for tonight's episode is monster movies and there's I mean, there's any number of directions that you could uh, take that in. Monsters have been in movies for ever. Uh, And so and I think our picks for this evening actually do go in some interesting different directions. But uh, Dylan, you're 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 the guest here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your interest in uh, in monster movies? I think it's that natural progression of like being a, a fan of dinosaurs. It's just, you know, it makes sense. So like when you're in KB Toys and you see a Godzilla figure, it's just like, you know, like, what's that? Um, but that's like pretty much where I started watching monster movies um, was just being like a huge fan of Godzilla movies as a kid. King Kong and all the Ray Harryhausen shit, like all that stuff is awesome. And uh, I, I love to revisit it now because like they all are like kind of corny. Like there's just like. <laughs> like the seventh voyage of sinbad is like a great movie and everything it has like amazing special effects but it's just like so like just like the acting is so like um i don't even know how to how you would put it like not operatic but like just very um i guess hammy is the right word yeah definitely like uh you know big in scope like yeah. big in feelings everything's just big um, yeah it's like shakespeare you know just everything is momentous <laughs> yeah it's it's a real i mean that was a real stylistic choice back then right we didn't hit mm-hmm. the 70s yet with the more naturalistic kind of right uh al pacino de niro you know school of acting i, I mean i love seven voyage of sinbad and, and so much of that is just that larger than life like we must kill the cyclops like just yeah. kind of 
gusto of that. And man, that Cyclops is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You watch it and you're like, yes, we must kill the Cyclops. I agree. I'm, I'm fully on board. <laughs> um, hot take. I think I like Golden Voyage of Sinbad a little bit, excuse me, a little bit better than Seventh Voyage. I think that one's pretty good. Um, but uh, they're all good. Yeah. And like, Jason and the Argon. You know what? I like all of those movies, though, better than Clash of the Titans. Like, I think Clash of the Titans kind of came way too late. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels a little extra corny. And like, you know, fucking Harry Hamlin. (laughs) You know, I I think if if anything, John, we just need to we need to put a pin in potential future episode with Dylan. Let's just do Harryhausen films. Yeah, shit. For sure. We can go crazy with some of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and definitely the the part about seeing these movies when you're young and the, and the corniness of them, that the definitely will come up in it at very least uh, one of these uh, picks for tonight uh, as I uh, <laughs> but uh, that'll have to uh, that'll have to wait for a bit. Uh, why don't we uh, why don't we launch into our first movie for the night, which uh, Dylan, I believe, was your pick. Yeah, so I picked Troll Hunter because, um, like you said, all the movies kind of go on a they go on a different path in terms of it being a monster movie. Because, like, you know, you think monster, you think very big, but then you have like you're sort of like mid sized, and you know, your classic monsters, and you know, Dracula, you know, uh, at which you know not to bury the lead but you know uh but like the creature from the black lagoon um i mean you could even throw gremlins in there like that's what's so great about it like you could you could have a movie like gremlins which is so silly and goofy and 80s but you're like but this is by all means a monster movie you know it's got a weird unsightly little creature causing chaos and havoc and then like a little cute one so that's what's kind of the beauty of the monster movie is how um kind of malleable it is you can really kind of push it in any direction um with varying results of course um so uh i picked troll hunter because um i had watched i think it was one of the first movies i watched on netflix actually either streaming or red i don't remember but uh it left a really good impression on me and i just thought it was such a cool movie but i thought it was kind of slow at the time um Upon rewatch, I thought that the movie like really moves by it at nice clip. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's any extra baggage or anything. Uh, but I like that it goes with sort of a non-conventional monster. Like, I don't know really where you would have seen trolls as like a as like kind of this vicious, you know, uh, uh, a very animalistic st- uh, take. Besides, like Lord of the Rings, they have like the they have the trolls in that, right? That's what they are, like the cave yeah. troll. Yeah, like the cave troll. And then, of course, there's like the little trolls, the little <laughs> with the poofy hairs <laughs> that are just naked all the time. For some reason, you have those. Um, but I don't uh, but I don't think a lot of people think of it outside of like kind of like the folklore and fantasy realm. And uh, I like I, I would call it kind of experimental. You know, it's a found footage type film. Um, that I, but I think that those movies can, you can either be very limited and kind of not, you know, kind of, it's, it's like, ah, this is kind of cool, but I kind of am over the gimmick, you know? 
Um, like, I think this is a much better film than uh, Cloverfield, for example, just a more realized monster movie. Uh, it's beautiful to look at because um, it takes place in Norway. So you get all these wonderful, like atmospheric shots. Um, and they in they include the troll lore, I think, really well where they're kind of explaining all of the behavioral patterns and traits of the trolls and what makes them different, what attracts them, what hurts them, why they turn into stone. And it all feels very like kind of it's pseudoscience, obviously, but it feels real enough without it feeling too weighty and too intrusive. Um, And I like how as you go through the story, because you're with a, a camera crew, all of this exposition kind of feels a lot more natural than I think you get in some, in like a lot of these other movies where someone just has to like stop and talk and explain a bunch of shit. Um, a great part in the movie that I think is so funny is when they like drag the dead, they try to blame all the attacks on bears as opposed to trolls. <laughs> so they're like bringing in like dead bears and they're bringing in the wrong kinds of bears and they use like these bear feet. They look like um, like walking sticks and just to put bear tracks in the area. And like at one point, there's a bunch of random people that are looking at it and they're just like, what's up with this bear? Does it have backwards feet? Because they get the the right foot and the left foot uh, swapped. It's a very funny movie, too. Um, and like the troll hunter dude is really great. Uh, he's like a big comedian in Norway. So I guess it was like a big deal when he made this movie. But yeah, it, it's and it's got like an amazing sound design and like the trolls look pretty good. I mean, they're all CGI, I think for the most part, but uh, it holds up pretty well and they all have a lot of character to them. And there's some parts that are like legitimately like pretty frightening. Um, Like if I, if you had seen this in the movie, there would have been some good jump scares or not even jump scares, just like shocking moments. Like uh, when he's fully in like his weird, like, Iron Man Mark one outfit and the, to get the, to get the blood sample from the troll. And it just like punts him against the wall. And it's just like, ah, shit, that looks like it hurt. Um, the way his rag, the way his body rag dolls is, yeah. ter- is, is legit scary. I was like, Oh, that man is yeah. dead. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's nothing about this where you're like, Oh, ha ha cute trolls. It's like, no, these things are like fucked up They're And it's almost like they are, just not like one of the funniest things he says is how they're like really not intelligent creatures, but they never really explain what the trolls are. They never say like, Oh, they're like offshoots of humans or they're like a science experiment. They never really say it. Although it's suggested that they are like a naturally occurring phenomenon. You know, it's not like they brewed them up in a lab somewhere or something like that. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, also, how can you argue with a movie that ends with a fucking Cavaller Talk song? <laughs> I I mean, I've listened to some Cavaller Talk. I don't think I caught that reference. That that is that is a very uh, nice detail. Um, yeah, I think I, I like what you said about the um, the 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 way that they come up with the pseudoscience for the the mm-hmm. trolls and how they you know, try and come up with an explanation for them, like why they explode or why they turn to stone or sometimes explode. I, 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 th- I like the details, even going extending past the specific like biology of how they're supposed to work to like the, the bureaucracy of this organization yes. that clearly exists. Like there's, there is, um, 
there's biologists that know about this stuff. There are different species and categorizations of it. There's like there's a whole like the the electric grid that sort of keeps everyone in. Like everything <laughs> yeah. everything is so considered that it do, it very very well blends into the found footage genre where you're just like it just feels as natural as anything else with with for me at least one notable exception of course uh the fact that they can smell the blood of a christian man <laughs> that to, to me i love it, that at, at first when he said it i was like that's a bit that has to be a bit and it turns out not only is it not a bit he has a whole bucket of christian man's blood yeah. Uh, which I need to know first of all, how do you get a how do you get a supply of Christian blood? I would like to know. Um and then and then not only does he use that to draw out the troll, he all the one of the um the cameraman in the crew is is ultimately eaten because he he denies at first that he's a Christian and then eventually confesses upon when they're trapped inside the cave that he is. And for everything else that for all the the lengths that they go to to establish how just totally normal a phenomenon trolls are, that one detail sticks out like a crazy sore thumb. And I'm not even saying I hate it. It just it just it, it, it stunned me into complete silence when I was like, not only is this <laughs> a thing that happens in the movie, but it's actually like pretty central to the plot that uh, trolls are attracted to Christian blood. And then later they make fun of it when they're. The replacement camera person shows up and she says that she's she's Muslim. <laughs> that, that and they say, really Well, what happened what happens there? And they're like, I have no idea. We'll figure He's it like, out. I don't really yeah. know, actually. A couple things. Uh, so first of all, I, I really like this this movie as well. Uh, I, I want to touch on the Christian blood thing in a second. But one of the things I wanted to talk about with the film, too, is like we all picked monster movies that do things really different with the concept of a monster. And Dylan, yeah. you, you touched on it when you first talked about it. I love the fact that um, in, in this case and in one of our other cases, this is not a horror movie. It's a monster movie is not the same thing as a horror movie. This is very much a fantasy. It's very much a comedy um for oh, it's a, a lot, lot of, of what it does it's a lot of things it does a lot of things i think it does a lot of those things successfully one of the things i really liked about what this film does is it, it really talks about monsters as mythology i mean the, the mythology of trolls does go back a long way and, and the, the only thing i'd say to your point john about the, the first of all the whole christian blood thing it sets up numerous gags and it, it is a great part of the film for what it does plot wise but i mean if you think about the mythology and lore of trolls, particular to Norway, which was a pagan civilization until it was invaded by Christians and had their religion kind of taken away. Ask any 90s black metal person. You know, <laughs> you know, and that's probably what the theme of their record was about from 1991 to 1994. I mean, so like, you know, the whole concept of being able to smell Christian blood, it makes sense in the historical kind of mythological realm of, of where this film takes place. It's very similar to uh, Jack and the Beat, Fee Fi Fofs Fum, I Smell the Blood of an Englishman. It's the same kind of central conceit there from where that saying comes from. But they play it really, really well here. The one thing I wanted to say, too, because you mentioned it, Dylan, was part of the charm and the real kind of big thing of why this works is because it's a mockumentary and because you're limited by the camera work and the night vision and, and you know this isn't high def cameras 
it makes the effects when you do see the trolls that much better because yeah. you're not looking at like a, you know, 200 million CGI spectacular, you know, spectacular, like a, like a King Kong versus Godzilla or even one of our other films that we're going to talk yeah. about that does have that fidelity of special effects. This is very low rent, low res. So that when you do see those, I think the trolls look incredible in this movie. And part of that is because they're done in night vision or they're done in like quick flashes of light as, as, um, as Hans, the troll hunter, you know, is battling them with his homemade light flasher. And you don't really get that kind of great fidelity until the, the end sequence with they, when they find the, um, the Jotnar, the, the huge mountain troll. Yeah. And I think that looks, that looks freaking stunning. And yeah. it does something that few films do. It really gives you, while the scope. rest of the film kind of plays with monsters, the end shows you like the scope of how big these things are. I think it's actually more successful at conveying size and scope of monsters than, than one of the other picks we're going to talk about, which is entirely made of giant monsters. Uh, it works really well. It's funny as sin. I didn't catch the Cavellatac music at, at the end because I was too busy laughing at how nonchalantly the government acknowledges the fact that trolls exist. Which was just so, such a great stinger of an ending. It's a real news clip that they just like changed <laughs> yeah. the subtitles for. Which yeah, I thought wonderful. was really the, funny. The, the look of the second guy just looking over in like panic as the guy just casually says the word trolls. I was like, Jesus. That's, it, 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 really, that's so good. it really brought me back to like every single press conference from the United States government last yeah. year. Just like how you would always have somebody, I whoever it was, you know, like uh, Trump or Kaylee McInerney, whatever her name was. And undoubtedly you would have somebody in the background just be like with the widest, the widest eyes just going, Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should drink bleach. And then the one person in the background is like, Oh, are we doing <laughs> it, it that had, now? It had that sense. You don't drink bleach. It attracts the <laughs> trolls. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, th th that was really fun, too. Like, they don't go too crazy into trying to explain everything. But everything that they give you, like the, hey, wipe this on you so that they don't smell you. And uh, th the whole reason why they may turn to stone or why they may explode. Um, they even, like, they throw, like, throw away things like it. Uh, th the reason there are so few trolls, because it takes 10 to 15 years for one to gestate before it's born. You know, like they just throw away these lines that deepen the mythology and make you more interested without having to keep referring back to, oh, now we have to worry because this one's been pregnant for 14 years. One's going to come like a normal movie would throw all that stuff in just to do a payoff later or to, you know, invigorate the, 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 the franchise <clears throat> that's going to come two years down the line. This movie just does it just to kind of flesh out the world that you're watching for that hour and 41 minutes. And same thing. I, I, I saw this when it first came out and I was like, yeah, it's fun. It is a little slow watching it now. I, I watched it twice in the last kind of week just to kind of make sure it was fresh in my mind because it's the one I had the least familiarity with. And the pacing is really good. I mean, I there's a part of me, the kid in me that grew up on monster movies that wants to see more more trolls. I wanted 100 more trolls. I wanted every style, every shape, every size. But um, the director and we should uh, credit him, Andre. uh 
Avradal, who also did the autopsy of Jane Doe. Uh, he did uh, this small film called Mortal, uh, which was fairly in- interesting. He's got something else large coming out. I don't remember what else he's doing, but uh, he does. He wrote, directed this. He does a great job just kind of pacing and doling out character moments that you really feel for these people, uh, especially Hans, the, the, the troll hunter. I didn't know that he was a comedian in real life. That dude is stoic in this film. And he really I, I was completely yeah. taken with him the whole time. It, it's it's interesting how they like when he's being like when he's trying to avoid the crew at the beginning, he's you know, he's gruff and he doesn't want to talk to them. But it's not like he just seems like a dude that just doesn't want to be bothered. He's not he doesn't seem especially asshole about it. Like he could probably be more asshole about it, to be honest. Uh, uh, but he's but then, of course, like by the time you get you know, over the course of the film, he's able to win you to his side and you're definitely rooting for him. And then of course at the end, like spoiler alert, when he goes out to take down the big mountain troll and you just see him walking off into the distance, this tiny little solitary figure, you want to talk about scale and size of the movie, this little tiny dot going up against this huge in the distance troll. And you're like, wow, that, that man has balls of steel. Like he's, he's going to die, but it's going to be glorious. And then he just pulls out a, fucking rocket launcher or whatever the fuck it is and just just launched it into that troll i was like jesus christ this is the best movie ever (laughs) yeah well it's he's not like uh, a repellent asshole because he's just like no you're not coming with me you'll fucking die if you do and lo and behold that does happen like one of them dies so like no one really goes through an arc in this movie, but it's okay because they're not really people that are they're It's not meant to. It's sort of yeah. again. It's sort of against the format of the movie. So I don't know. This is about as like postmodern of a monster movie as you can probably get. You know, I mean, there's definitely some other movies of like the more modern era of big monster films that I would say are like amongst the best. Like I know we mentioned the host when we were emailing back and forth. Uh, that's a fantastic movie. Uh, you know, still has some, definitely has some like COVID, uh, 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 resemblance to it. Um, I'm a big fan of the most recent, uh, Japanese Godzilla movie, Shin Gojira. I'm a huge fan of that. Oh, that's a fantastic movie. Um, again, feels very relevant. Um, so the, you know, those are some of the ones that I like a lot of the more uh, modern era, you know, like monster movies have kind of gone through like a weird, I don't know. They haven't really, they hadn't really aged well past like the nineties. And then suddenly there was just like this weird sort of resurgence with them in like the two thousands and the 2010s, I guess more specifically. Uh, And, you know, now people seem to be really into them uh, again. Um, They're just done on a completely different scale. It's funny, too, because I think part of the problem there was just that, like, people didn't know what to do with monster films. Like, some of the films you mentioned, like, like the host in particular, the the <coughs> monster in that movie, and that is as one of my favorite movies, um, the, ho- the, 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 the monster in that movie is really merely the device 
to push the human characters through the arcs that they go through. I mean, there yeah. are huge arcs in that 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 movie. Um, for so long, monsters were just the unnameable thing that is just terrorizing these people, right? It, it's the Jason Voorhees. It's it's this, it's that. It's it's whatever. It's just there to be the threat that the people stand against. So I often find that I'm much more drawn to movies where monsters are used in a much different way. And I think Troll Hunter kind of exemplifies using them in a different way even though there's no arc for these for these um characters it just does such a great job of just building a world that feels real and i think in the case of troll hunter i don't think he's looking to do anything else i don't think he's looking to make a grand statement although not being you know up to date in current kind of norwegian politics or <laughs> the administration there there could a lot there could be a lot to be said about the bureaucracy in this film the, the troll security service and uh finn you know the, the guy who's running around trying to mask all of the troll in- incidents there's probably <laughs> some subtle kind of norwegian commentary there that's probably more localized for that yeah. fan base but for us it's just great to see a movie that's just interested in building a world and making you kind of understand it with these fantastical things which is what i mean since a kid the thing that's always drawn me to monster movies is that glimpse of the other that glimpse of there's a world bigger than ours that we don't understand and it's populated with these things when i come away from this movie even though i am fully aware it's a movie i come away with this movie understanding what it would be like to have trolls living on our planet in a way that other big monster movies like cloverfield for example i and cloverfield is a film that Definitely has things on its mind. I mean, coming so soon after 9-11 and the way that it uses the destruction of New York and stuff like that, there are definitely some things happening there, but it doesn't make me feel like I understand what that world is like. It just makes me understand, you know, like Godzilla and all the other movies before it. Um even back to the 50s and the beats from 25,000 Fathoms. I mean, it just makes me realize what it's like to have a big monster topple a city this movie makes me feel like i understand what it's like to have something fantastical live in our world i think for that alone it's a hugely successful movie for me yeah that's a good way of that's a really good way of putting it i think that's probably a good place for us to uh segue i think into uh to our next film uh which is going to be my pick for the evening uh i chose pacific rim by guillermo del toro So Pacific Rim, it came out in 2013. Um, this is a big movie about robots versus monsters. This is uh, the big pitch here is just as simple as that, which is come to this movie uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro, who's done like a bunch of other really interesting sci-fi and fantasy movies, um, usually with like a lot of, you know, depth and detail and creative love. And in this case, it feels like the, the depth I'm not sure if it's there, but the but the spectacle, the the huge spectacle of let's just watch uh, giant robots fight monsters seems like entirely a reason enough to uh, to go and uh, to go and see this movie. Um, I, I'm a real big fan of the world building uh that it happens in this movie it i think there's some there's some stuff in the troll hunter conversation we were talking about where the 
sort of the details suggested like it's um or if you want to even go back as far as like star wars one of the coolest things about the original star wars was that the you know for as as cool as the things were that were on the screen that you were seeing there was also a lot of like references to things that made the world feel a lot bigger and more realized <clears throat> than could actually be shown and of course they would then to mixed success uh fill out those details in future movies <laughs> but uh, but in that first movie you're just like wow what are the clone wars i need to know what the clone wars are and this movie i think does a similar job of uh or even in the way they categorize all their monsters and like give the the biologies and histories and establish like this exists within a in a world where you know you can have people who are obsessed with the kaiju and have tattoos and toys of them and stuff there it feels um it feels incredibly lovingly detailed and and i think that i think that for all the things you can talk about this movie and and potential criticisms of it because there are some things that i think the film could have done potentially a bit better the feeling i get coming out away from this movie is that guillermo del toro is making a big love letter to all of the monster movies he grew up with and is a big giant nerd who is just going to make the most like this this feels like a sort of like like my dream come true kind of moment for him um who wants to uh who wants to take on pacific rim first so i mean it, it is is there a filmmaker name more synonymous with monsters than guillermo del toro right now i mean there probably isn't it it, it is it is very much i agree with you this is his love letter to his youth and the kaiju films that he was infatuated with as a kid. I mean, for me, I, growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, I, I remember my favorite toys were the Shogun Warriors. They were like mm -hmm. these two and a half foot tall. I had the Godzilla with the shootable hand and the flame that when you press the back of his head, flame would shoot out of his mouth and Guy King and Great Mazinga. I mean, I, I think Del Toro grew up on those same things. And this is very much his love letter to that. Um I think it does do a lot of the world, the world building you're talking about. I love the categorizations and, and, and how that kind of parallels what we were talking about with, with, with Troll Hunter. Um, I, I think the other parallel here with that film is, um, and this is where I'm going to give this film a bit of a criticism as opposed to, Troll Hunter. Um, this film doesn't have a lot to say either. It is very much a action, sh you know, smash them up spectacle love letter to my childhood. So it's necessarily very broad and it's necessarily very shallow in what it's trying to do. Um, visually, it's stunning. I mean, there's just no question. This, Del Toro might be one of the best filmmakers to play with color and to play with images on, on the screen that, you know, in a very different way than someone like Wes Anderson, who's so infatuated with being symmetrical and, and just having boxes and mm -hmm. squares and shapes and center focus. Del Toro just can paint beautiful images and he can paint beautiful images with a moving camera. But at the same time, I'm going to go here. I'm going to say it. Um, I don't care about the monsters in Pacific Rim. I, I just don't. They're just big, nameless monsters. They're category three, four. And oh, my God, there's a category five, which we save for the end. But they're just kind of they're just kind of monsters. They have cool names. I guess one's guy's called Knifehead. Um, so for a monster movie, I like my only thing about this. I, I Look, you want Idris Elba in a movie? I'm already there. I'm just I'm there. And you want to call him Stacker Pentecost? Maybe one of the greatest character names ever. <laughs> the name, greatest name I'm of all doubly, time. Now I'm doubly there. I just wish the monsters engaged me more. 
I almost feel like there's the huge story around um, for years, and this was my dream film as well. Del Toro was trying to get at the Mountains of Madness built. He'd been trying. Yeah. He had James Cameron <clears throat> coming in as a producer. He had Tom Cruise set to star. This was, I mean, Lovecraft, despite his horrible racist nature, I mean, he created a world that infatuated my brain when I was a kid. So to hear that that was coming and then that to get shelved, I kind of felt like what we were seeing from the monsters here was like a glimpse of his ideas that he would have used in that film. And it's great and it's cool. Um, and I really like some of the fight scenes. I love the Jaegers. They're pretty cool too. Uh, but again, it, it's so broad and so shallow that I'm not as invested as I really wanted to be as beautiful as the film is. I, I always have that little bit of an arm's length distance with it, which is weird because I love Del Toro. I love all of his films. This is probably my least favorite of his films simply because I can't get close enough to the monsters like i can get to hellboy hellboy 2 shape of water even chronos and uh, devil's backbone oh chronos I mean, like, rules that movie chronos is, is so great, right? wild <laughs> like we'll, we'll set mimic aside because mimic is very much like america 90s like dylan like you said right there was a point where just like they lost a thread with what monster movies are supposed to be. And Mimic I think was Mimic pretty good, of, though. Mimic is good, but the monster just falls into that unnameable threat category that doesn't do anything except look cool. Um, and I think this and I, I, I actually like Mimic maybe a little bit more because of that. Pacific Rim, as much as I enjoy it, just because the monsters are so weirdly generic to me, I kind of get a little bit distance from it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Guillermo, I know you're a fan of this podcast. I know you listen constantly. I love every single one of your movies, sir. I cannot wait for Nightmare Alley. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go check our listener stats again. Um, yeah, no, this one less now. This this movie, I mean, if I could use the term, is basic. It, it's a himbo. Like it's it's big and beautiful it's and dumb himbo. as a bag yeah, of rocks. Totally. Like it is. It in in the sense that like I. I when I when this originally came out, I hadn't seen Neon Genesis Evangelion, and when it came to Netflix, I watched it. And watch going back now and watching Pacific Rim, realizing, oh wow, this really does like have at least a lot of the superficial similarities to to, to that to that series. But like, it's nowhere near as batshit and fucking insane though. But yeah, there, <laughs> that, it doesn't have the depth. True. It's just like a sort of surface level. Like, yeah, it's, it's people and robots mean, fighting monsters. But that doesn't mean though it's dumb though, is it? Like, you know, I was just thinking back because as soon as you said that, yeah. Man, we should at one point we gotta talk about <laughs> Evangelion. That is a oh, batshit crazy yo, call, show. Let me know. We're pl- um, I've seen it, I ha- but I watched like the original, like the <clears throat> the version that is unfine. Like you can't get it anywhere. But, right. Like the original voices and the original like yeah, dubbing and yeah, stuff. Right back yeah. before Netflix took it. Sure. But I think the, the point I wanted to make was like I I I don't think Pacific Rim is dumb. Like it does take a lot of these shallow things, but the, the the point you made about the world building, the world building is really cool. I love like the concept of the drift and 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 the black market and just I mean again you put Ron Perlman in now I'm I'm there because it's Del Toro and it's Ron Perlman. Uh, I love all that stuff. I just but none of that makes the the like it's world building that the world building in Troll Hunter made the trolls better. The world building in Pacific Rim makes the world better, but it didn't make the monsters better for me. That's what I'll say. Well, and I was thinking that specifically when I was using the word dumb there, I was thinking about it in the ter- in the ways that like our our friends that listen to death metal will talk about ignorant riffs. Like just 
just like knuckle dragging. Yeah, Dylan's raising his hand. Like you want to listen to like I, I I mean that in not in a pejorative term. Like it's just it's it's big okay. and it's dumb and it just sort of like hits sort of a primal like lizard brain kind of uh thing where you're you're not gonna get anything more in depth than that. And surf and especially because of the like comparisons to Evangelion, which like I I've watched it once and you know on my list of things to do is to like at some point before I die just like try and start to unpack that because it's it's wild but there's there's none of that with this but it does but it's not it's not lazy it's not crass it's like beautifully and lovingly crafted and and every single moment of it and and of course yeah the Ron Perlman yeah I think the Ron Perlman stuff is is you know where I think it does its best work um I, I think in a similar vein just being like eight seasons deep into my sunny in Philadelphia rewatch watching uh, <laughs> oh, Charlie I, re- I watched that all the way through uh, during quarantine. That was my quarantine <laughs> achievement was watch all it, of it's always sunny. That's great. It's, it's so, it, it, it's so shocking to watch uh, Charlie day be like funny, but not in a just complete disgusting trash bag way that he is on the show. Like he's, he can just be, he can just be a normal human. He doesn't have to be (laughs) Charlie Kelly, King of the rats. Like he's still uh, like kind of a trash bag in this though. I mean, he's just so apt to like put like foreign chemicals into his body. (laughs) I, and and we won't, we don't need to talk about the sequel, but I will say that one of the, one of the only things I like about the sequel is that they actually give Charlie day a little bit more scumbag energy than he got to do in this one. He gets to be a bit more scummy in the way that you're used to from Sonny in, in hmm. the sequel. I, I don't know if I'd recommend the sequel on many other bases beyond that, but I was just like, you know what? There, there There's some there's some Rat King energy here that I like uh, from, <laughs> from Charlie Day in the sequel. You may have tipped me over to now wanting to see the sequel. <laughs> just, just don't, just don't just don't come back to me when, after you do, okay? <laughs> Just take your feelings and keep them to yourself. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the the the, the Idris Elba speech, like that that whole like it, it's very when we, when Independence you, Day. Yeah, it, it in that in the way that like yeah, it's 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 broad, but it works. And in the trailer, it feels like this seems kind of silly, but it actually like. It's big and broad, but it definitely earns yeah. it. And I think that I think that where the movie, like most of the big broad things that it does in the movie, are things that actually is are able to earn. Um, the my only real criticism with the movie um, is that they the the intro the first intro to the movie where they're just sort of setting up the kaiju attacks and here's what happens. That stuff is great, but then they go into a second introduction where with the with the brothers where you could just like skip ahead and just bring in this like grizzled old pilot and just be like, yeah, his brother died. Like I, I, that part, I, that second part with the first fight, I mean, you kind of want to see a fight so you can, you know, be excited and stuff. But that's the only part that I, that I was like, I, I don't think this needs to be here. I think there's probably a, to your point, a, better way to blend the two together. But one of the things that I love about the film and I love about Del Toro in general is just like the dude can craft a sequence and can craft like a a shot or a scene. I feel like he did talk to like the visual effects crew because I feel like in a lot of these movies, I feel like the directors don't really communicate 
about like visual they're just like just do crazy shit or whatever oh you no know? you, you get like the sense that like, Toto's no, mapping it right <laughs> he's probably in there being like it can't be fast you have to track it like it's like a full shot you have to do it like this so like you know so there's um like i the but uh i'm sorry to inter i apologize for interrupting but the um like just the battles is where this movie lives and you can tell that even though it's like a full CGI and they do like some of the crazy shit, like with the sword and space and whatnot, it still looks like they watched a Godzilla movie. Oh, totally. Or, or Gundam or neon Genesis. And they were able to be like, we're not going to be flying around like where you can't see anything. And it's like a sky battle or some, you know, just like obviously on a green screen, like there's, there's weight and there's depth to it. And it looks pretty cool for the most part. Like it's, and actually one shot in the movie that I really love doesn't even involve a battle, but it's this, it's the part when, uh, when I don't remember Charlie, when fucking Jax Teller, uh, is he's the only one in his wrecked Jaeger walking up in the water, in the fog. And then like the guy, the fisherman with the sun just like yes. sees it. That's a great shot. That's that what is I was going to say. That is you interrupted cool me shot. to just say the shot I wanted to say. So it's perfect. Right. And you, 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 you don't get a film like this without that image. I, I mean, look, that's a Del Toro image right there. The freaking shot of the Jaeger, right? That Arctic yeah. kind of scene. And it's, he's coming out totally. That's, that's what those are the things that make this film. I, yeah. I I think every action sequence is beautifully choreographed. I love the shot. I watched this with, with my 13-year-old son. Um, he had no interest when my wife and I went to see it originally. Uh, so now he's finally at that age. And the this, the scene in space and then the sword comes out. We both, like, even now, that's, I'm almost that's 50. Straight my anime. arms are in the air and I'm screaming. Yeah, this is Gundam, like, right to a T. Yeah, sword arm shooting anime. out. It's, it's great. Yeah, my uh, so we watched it. We we had tried to watch it last week with the kids because I was like, you know what, this is this is, they should be fine to handle this. They're they're eight uh, and five. They should they should be okay. Um, and within the fir- in the first fight scene, my eight year old was like in tears. So I was like, okay, I guess not. But then it was our it was our five year old who had actually been the person who I had talked about it, and she said, "Well, that sounds like fun. Could we watch it?" So this morning when I watched it with her, uh, she said, "I asked her, well, do you want to come watch it with me?" She said, "Yeah." And the the sheer giddiness and exuberance she had uh, watching all of these things that we're talking about, all these choreographed fight scenes, and just all the questions she asked and the curious nature, she was just like completely just lit up her whole existence lit up by just watching this 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 movie is it 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 brought a new level to my enjoyment of the movie because i was like oh wow like she's she's excited and she gets it and she's completely on board in for re- for reasons that her older sister i guess couldn't and i don't want to push that on her but like the um i i think that the excitement I hear from the both of you, even just talking about those those scenes, is is definitely reflected even in someone as young as as my five year old kid. So like it's just people like watching robots and monsters fight. Well, that's what you get like when you're a kid. And, I mean, that's what you that's what you take away from that stuff. You want that stuff that makes you feel like 
oh my God, you know, like <laughs> there are things that my brain never conceived of and now I'm seeing it. So now my brain is that much better for it. I mean, it, you know, as a kid, it was seeing those things for the first time that you never saw before. And the fact that Del Toro can take a shot like, like the one that Dylan mentioned or just the, 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 the shot of, um, of uh, Mako Mori, the the, the 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 flashback of her when she's lost in the drift, and and it's it's her with the red shoe, um, running from that huge kaiju that's uh, chasing her. Those are shots that, like, when I was a kid, similar shots from other movies, like what we talked about with like Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Jason of the Argonauts, and 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 uh, and other things we'll talk about later. Those are shots that stuck with me from eight to forty eight. You know, and and that's what monster movies can do. And I think Del Toro is amazing at tapping into that with his visual imagery and the way that he creates shots. That's what you want from a horror movie. I mean, from a monster movie. This is not a horror movie. No, this is definitely not a horror movie. This is very much just straight up action adventure with monsters, uh, which is wonderful. I'm with uh, uh, Chris on this in that um, and maybe I'm going to be a little bit more harsh, but like. I definitely think that, like I said, this movie shines during the big monster fight scenes. And I think that sort of like the problem that I have with this movie is that um, it kind of it feels like it's like I have this weird theory about the the movie Cowboys and Aliens, which it fucking sucks, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, I think it's a horrible movie Uh, is that that movie got a lot of like hype at Comic-Con and with this like very weird pretense that it was sort of like this next level thing. And it was very, very, very generic and not very interesting. And I felt like that sort of hype started to get put on virtually every major blockbuster coming out, whether it was a Marvel movie, DC, uh, you know, Godzilla, like any of that stuff coming out. So I think that the, this movie kind of has that where, it's um it's got a little bit more nuance to it than your average blockbuster because i think del toro manages to put in like that that he puts in that care to make sure that it has like some interesting things in it but uh yeah it's definitely the monsters are a bit shallow which actually kind of makes sense given that they're like just random weird clones of like That's sea right. life and, and lizards because actually the the ultimate villains are aliens so it's funny how this movie and like kong skull island and and uh and godzilla versus kong really lean into this hollow earth theory which is very like deeply tied in with like you know, conspiracy theories and aliens and all that kind of stuff that's very in vogue right now. Um, so I don't I, I don't like love that it's just that it's like aliens because it feels kind of just like Independence Day and the aliens kind of look like all the other aliens that are out now. They have long they have two sets of arms. One of them is really long. One of them is really short. And they have like big heads or like bug faces. Um, so I. I, I don't know. I, w- I would have loved to have seen this movie where they sort of presented the the they used the story to present the exposition. Like I would have loved to have seen that like full kaiju attack and then them having like a meeting about it and the, the development of the Jaegers and the first battles and sort of like I would have loved to have seen some more with the other Jaeger teams because they really only show up in one fight and then they're yeah. dead, you know, they're given um, short shrift. Very yeah. much so. 
And uh, uh, I would have loved to have seen that fucking bulldog with any other characters because those guys were horrible. (laughs) So, um, but really, like, I think my biggest issue with the movie is that, like, Charlie Hunnam is the worst protagonist. Like, I he's I do not like him at all. And I would have much preferred if this movie was about um, Stacker Pentecost and um, is it Mako Mori or Makoto Mori? I think it's I think it's Mako Mori. Mako I think it's Mako Mori. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that movie be yeah. about their relationship and and definitely keep Charlie Day and and Burn Gorman and Ron Perlman. You know, you can keep all those side characters, but I think that in the time that we got with um, which John, you know, criticized seeing like you know Charlie Hunnam. Like, if they wanted to introduce Charlie Hunnam as a character, they very well could have. Um, but I think that just that he. You know, he kind of is just like, I'm here. I'm I'm fighting the monsters. My brother's dead. Oh, I'm not going to do it. But you're going to do it, right? Oh, I'm going to do it. You know, it's it's like his arc is kind of like, it's sort of done by like the first third of the film. So I think the movie would have been much better if they had given that time to sort of build the world in a different way because you just get a lot of like glimpses at stuff. Um, whereas like you get to see a lot of it in, yeah. in action in Troll Hunter. So... I think it's I think for like your typical block, but like Hollywood blockbuster, you know, it this movie is a bit better than Godzilla King of the Monsters. But in some ways, because they tried to make the characters better in that movie and they failed pretty hard. If you ask me, Uh, that movie like looks pretty cool with the kaiju, you know, and they the monsters certainly have more personality, I think, in those movies than the kaiju in this movie. Um, but you really like lose it because the characters are just so poorly done in that movie. And just it's so thin. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, and, it, and it doesn't have enough of the charm that the old Godzilla films have where they can kind of get away with those thin plot lines and thin characters. I think Pacific Rim does a little bit better with that. It's just that I feel like they uh, they talked about it a little bit too much um, and promised us sort of a, a much deeper thing than what we were going to get which if they i don't know and that's what they have to do to sell a movie i i get it but it's sort of like when you get the final products like ah, eh, that really wasn't as like in-depth as i kind of wanted it to be you know but it's i think it would have been really cool to see this like you know of course it's hypothetical this is like a six episode miniseries would have been really cool like to see like hot like uh to get a respected filmmaker to do sort of like a hollywood ode to to anime and kaiju films over six episodes that would have been great you know that's like that's sort of the beauty of gundam and neon genesis and all the, the mecha shows is that even depend even though they're not all like up to the same level like every episode you get a chance to like, here's your main character. Here's his struggle. Here's a side character. Here's a, a father figure and that kind of stuff. So I, that's why I always appreciate like a, a, a series, you know, like a, like that series style. Cause you just get a little bit more time with the characters and that's sort of where this movie falters. But, um, you know, the Jaegers are fucking cool. Like I do like them. They're, they're a neat, they're a neat critter. And I do like some of the lore that they create. So it's, I think it's an okay movie. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as bad as some people like make it out to be. Like I know there's some people that just really hate the film. Um, I'm just like fully aware that it's just not a, a, a like, you know, sort of, it's not a postmodern take on that. And uh, I haven't seen it, but it was nice to hear that. It seemed like Del Toro kind of went back to his roots with the shape of water. Cause like, I love Pan's Labyrinth, but 
I haven't really been interested in anything that he's been kind of putting out. Like he did the mm. ghost, the haunted house movie or whatever that didn't really, Peak. that didn't really catch my interest at all. Well, I'll say that like, it's yeah, I, I mean, always you want more with the characters, especially the, the other teams. Uh, f- for me, if that's something that like, I would still want, especially at the expense of Charlie Hunnam, who I, I, I agree is, you know, not in, the, in this case, not necessarily the best used uh, for uh, for a main protagonist. But yeah, like, I, I, I guess to I, be fair to Charlie Hunnam, I've seen him be really good in other stuff. <laughs> he just plays the the bland blonde hero here who Dylan, you, you make a huge point like his arc is pretty much solved like 25 minutes in. Which is which is like, oh, how can I ever do this again after I've lost my brother? He does it fairly quickly and fairly easily. So it's like, well, OK, that arc's done. <laughs> well, what do you do with him at that point? Yeah. <laughs> and he has the weirdest American voice. Like it's, it's a weird so, accent he puts uh, on. Uh, and and I. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, given like how the whole point is to be like broad international coalitions and stuff, because like, that's part, part be of Ava too. Where I just, yeah, give him the accent. Yeah. Um, but I think that if I can, if if I can live with, if I want more with the other teams, uh, I can at least live with that the way that they're presented in the films. Because I spent most of my childhood ex- obsessing over the X wing and Y wing pilots in Star Wars that died yeah. after getting two lines, and be like, and be like, no, I'm going to tell you the extensive history of Jack Parkins and Biggs Darklighter. Like I can, <laughs> I can, I can tell you all that shit, and the th- th- that those those other people feel like they they don't get a lot of screen time but like it's like yeah no those are cool i could like put a lot of my energy into uh into you know thinking about those kind of characters at least it has this it hits me in sort of the the same kind of way um it's hard to build those kinds of worlds now kind of like in a in a post star wars world even it's like you know like i've been watching a lot of i've actually been watching stargate sg1 with my girlfriend and i've really been enjoying it because it's so crazy to me that Stargate from like the 2000s, like I feel like has such good world building and, and and I'm impressed that they did such a good job in 2000s because, you know, you, you know, like and like even playing a game like I've been playing a lot of Skyrim during quarantine and and forward like, yeah, that game has really dense lore, but I'm like, it's this it's it's literally every fantasy. I mean, it's the everything is a trope. So um, I kind of lost my my train of thought there, but like it's oh I remember, but like now it's it's hard to do that successfully. I mean, Game of Thrones was very successful because you there was time to go into like characters and whatnot. You know, regardless of how you feel about you know the show overall, you know it's very hard to do that in like and like what uh, in a two hour movie even you know to really like flesh out everything. So like. Yeah at least in star Wars, you had three movies to like, know there's going to be a bunch of fucking X wing pilots of everyone. You know, you're going to remember like all of them. I mean, we even remember the guy in return of the Jedi. Who's just like, she's going to blow. And it's like, yeah, because that dude, his last words were, she's going to blow. And then his spaceship exploded, you know, like we all remember that stuff. So it's, it's hard to have that same effect like now. And, you know, they do that. They probably did that with Avengers. I don't think they did it with Justice League, but yeah, it, 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 Hollywood Hollywood does like navigates their tropes and uh, and and these kinds of things in kind of very familiar patterns. So that's kind of what you got here. And but I still think it has a, like just a little bit more nuance to it and a little bit more 
digestibility because I'd rather watch this than like the amazing Spider-Man. That movie sucks. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think the most like for, especially for the time that this movie came out, I think the most obvious comparison is stuff like the Michael Bay Transformers movies, which are probably pretty, at least a couple movies in at that point. And, you know, yeah. I watch, I watch maybe a couple of them and those movies are incomprehensible from like a, yeah. like from a just trying to understand like what is actually happening on screen and the, all the care and choreography, like in the, in the planning and the attention to detail um, that we've talked about here is, is feels like a, this, no, this is how you do a version of this that doesn't suck. It's also like, you know, not super racist and offensive. <laughs> like, wow. the, like the Transformers movies are. Well, it comes, I mean, it, 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 it comes back to if we want to try and close this out. I mean, yeah, it, again, it all speaks to Del Toro as a visual stylist. He's a master. I mean, and when you compare him to, you know, like a Michael Bay or, you know, other kind of things that were people who are doing similar things at, at the time really weird racist kind of things aside, there's just no comparison. Um, but I think again, just to kind of, it's, it's, it, it, it does what it does as homage, as love letter. Um, I don't think it's entirely successful for what I want to take away from a monster film, but I don't think that detracts from, or from a Gil, or from a Del Toro film to be fair. But I, I, I still think to your point, John, as like just a, a fun time. If you want to watch inventive action and, and fight sequences that make sense and are choreographed with style and wit and, 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 and a linear flow that makes sense, you can do a hell of a lot worse than, than Pacific Rim. But, uh, but if you want to talk about a movie that treats its very boring vanilla protagonist uh, appropriately by shoving him almost entirely out of the picture, why don't we talk about our next movie, which is Chris's pick. All right, so John, yes. Uh, let's talk about your last statement uh, in regards to my pick, which is a bit of a weird pick. So I'll, I'll start out by talking about it, but I want to tell a story as well. So my pick is Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 um, interpretation of Bram Stoker's novel. Um, this has I have a huge history with this film and with this character. So um, because Dylan is new, I will uh, sum up very quickly my kind of movie going history. Um, my father uh, came over to America in the 1950s, didn't speak any English. He was from Germany. So he grew up on um, what he saw on television from the 50s, which was large the movies of the 30s and the 40s. So when I was born in the 70s, those were the movies that I gravitated to as well. So when other kids were watching Star Wars and, and 80s films like that, many of which I saw, my bread and butter were the universal horror movies of the 30s and the 40s, the film noir of the 40s and, and, and the 50s. I grew up with the monsters that were portrayed by um, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney. That, that was my bread and butter. My earliest... Um, most visceral nightmares were 
being in a hospital and looking under the hospital bed and seeing Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and the creature from the Black Lagoon come up from under the hospital bed to eat me. Um, so I've always been drawn to those stories. I've always been drawn to those monsters. Those are the classic touchstones of my youth, along with things like Godzilla and, and, and King Kong and, and pieces like that. So when I had heard that Francis Ford Coppola in 1992, and at this point, I'm 19 years old, I'm dating this young Italian Catholic girl who would eventually become my wife. Uh, when I heard that Francis Ford Coppola was redoing Dracula, I was stoked. And I was stoked at the cast. It was fantastic. We went to the movie. Uh, it was a late night showing. And holy crap, were my hopes kind of dashed <laughs> in 1992. I didn't know what stoked? I saw. Wait, you were stoked? Pun intended? I was completely ah. stoked. <laughs> Stokered. Uh, it was crazy. Um, I didn't know what I saw. I didn't know what I was supposed to be seeing. And I kind of left bewildered to this day. My wife is like, this is one of the worst things you've ever done in our 30 year relationship together. Um, oh my goodness. But it intrigued me. There are, there, there were things that I couldn't take that I couldn't kind of put away from the film. So I came back to it time and time again. And obviously at this point, now I come to it as someone who dearly loves the film because it does so many different things. Um, and the thing that I want to really want to draw attention to first, and this is kind of in response to your question about the white bread protagonist, is that what this monster movie does that few other monster movies do, and neither of our other two movies do, is it makes the monster the protagonist. So as much as I appreciate your joke about Keanu Reeves and how terrible he is in this movie as the quote-unquote protagonist of the film... Keanu Reeves is not the protagonist of this film. Dracula is the protagonist of this film. He is the person by which all of the action centers around. His is the arc that this movie draws upon. And I think oh, it's I always assumed that he was the main that. I always assumed yeah. he was the main character and like we just had to <laughs> put up with Keanu in this so, movie. So let's get Keanu out of the way because I am a Keanu apologist. I love Keanu in almost everything. I like Keanu too, man. Yeah, there, too. There's, I, there will I, be I, no I, Keanu slander on this fan. podcast. I cannot yeah. make any excuse for him in this movie. He is woefully miscast in this movie. He, I'll say he's one of the few people miscast in this movie because I think most of the cast is fantastic. He just I, doesn't why, work in this movie. Why did they not just cast Carrie Elways as Jonathan Harker? <laughs> yeah, that would have so yeah. I mean, you have, so let, let, let's talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula for a second. Gary Oldman as Dracula, Winona Ryder, yeah. Ryder as Mina, um, Anthony Hopkins. Oh my, oh my God, God. As Van Helsing. And I he, mean, talk he about, is, he is one the of scenery. the highlights. This is one of the best performances to my mind he's ever given. He not only eats the scenery, he chews, spits, savors, no, and just he, devours the scenery in this he film. I mean, there's a literal visual metaphor when he is just eating that massive hunk yes. of beef. When that he's eating I, the, the, the steak with Jonathan. Might I add, looks delicious, so I don't blame him, but yes, he literally like we see him cut and chew and eat this and i'm like this cannot not he can't yeah. not be aware of just how insane this is but it's he totally leans into it and yes it's very over the top but it's such a welcome against like keanu and yep. i I, I don't know. I think that Winona Ryder is fine. I, I don't think she's particularly remarkable in it. But however, 
I don't think anything will take the cake the way that Tom Waits does because Tom so, Waits is one of these. I, listen, just hear me out. I just need a movie where Tom Waits and Ron Perlman play brothers. And I don't care what the uh-huh. fucking movie's about, but it has to be funny because just like, could you imagine those two guys? Like they kind of look a little similar. They got so, similar haircuts and big teeth. <laughs> He's great. I mean, we just rewatched Mystery Men, which, by the way, is actually a pretty fucking good movie, and I think is a little bit way, like ahead of its time in terms of like the superhero parodies actually being good. Um, but he's great in that and i mean it's tom waits he's just this is normal for him i assume tom waits just like shows up in jails and it will eat some bugs and then leave but like he's i love him in this i love him in anything he shows up in so yeah so so to to, to just a so a couple things to respond to here um in my heaven there is a cut of jim jarmusch's coffee and cigarettes which is literally just ron perlman and yeah. tom waits talking for hours uh tom waits <laughs> has been Literally, since I was a teenager, one of my musical and acting heroes, I worship the ground he walks upon. Um, He is fantastic in this film. I'll go to bat for um, Winona Ryder as Mina. I I think she She tries a a a sexual innocence in this film that is that is needed for her character. But um, I wanted to jump back to you mentioned the steak scene with. Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. And I, I, I need to point out that what makes that scene even better, it is, it is a slash cut from the preceding scene of, um, uh, the, the head being chopped off of, um, now I can't remember her name. Oh, Lucy? Um, of Lucy. Lucy, yeah. Um, is that Talia Shire? Lucy, right? No, it's not Talia Shire. It's Sadie actually, Frost. um, Sadie Frost. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who, uh, who is also fantastic in the film. That is a, that is such an audacious cut. And, and that, that, speaks to i think what turned a lot of people off to the film when it originally aired but what i now love about it coppola made some very distinct choices when he made this film he he shot all the effects in camera he wanted to kind of imbue it with the spirit of the 30s films from an effects perspective kind of maintained that tone and that and that stylistic thing he takes he makes some bold choices i mean he he does some things with the um with the green fog i mean and 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 you're watching it now i made the comment to john i was so excited to do this i went out because it was so dirt cheap i bought the 4k um version so i could watch it in as high a resolution as possible on my that's insane that like the 4k version of this movie is like well here's the thing about the 4k version of this movie because the effects are in camera Camera, they are somewhat dated. And when you see yeah. it in that level of fidelity, there's the scene where they go to Carfax Abbey and they start to burn the um, they burn the coffin and they start to um, desecrate all the ground so that Dracula can't can't return. And there is a green fog that creeps from Carfax Abbey to Mina um, and um, is the preface for another kind of very intense and intimate scene between Dracula and Mina. And you can literally see that they just took smoke, put it on a pane of glass and just had fire kind of like lick up the glass. <laughs> it's so obvious, but that's that's so much of the ch- 
charm of this movie, the way that he uses those in-camera tricks like um, Dracula will walk across the screen and two seconds later, the shadow will then go across the screen. He'll reach and then There's, the shadow's yeah. arm will go six feet. Um, Gary Oldman's performance, I mean, in every guise of Dracula from the night in the beginning, from Vlad the Impaler in the beginning. His armor is His armor. So I mean, cool. there is, it's, it's, it's operatic, cool. it's gothic, it's, it's, yeah. it's grand and melodramatic in a way that I don't think people were expecting. I, I, like when he shows up in the armor, I'm like, God damn, the fucking Sisters of Mercy should be playing it right now. Looks, <laughs> Yeah, it is an emo kind of spectacle. It is fantastic. And it has those moments. Um, again, for me, like the mark of a great monster movie is there is a visual that will stick with you until... You know, you die and the Godzilla and King Kong and Jason and the Argonauts with the Cyclops and the skeletons, all, all of these things have those touchstones. And for me, they, they had it in the trailer as as well. There's that wonderful scene where they confront Dracula and he backs into a corner and turns into a pool of rats that drop to the ground. That part is also great and very creepy because he's like this. So creepy. He's this bat form and like, like you said. He's one a of bat. the movie's strengths he's a, he's a werewolf. The, he's all of those things. Yeah. Well, one of the strengths of this movie, and like, I actually haven't seen the original Dracula. I have it. Um, a friend of mine got me a great collection of the Universal movies, and that's one of them. But I haven't seen it. I've seen most of them. Um, is that this does feel like they try to do, from what I've seen of the original movie, it doesn't look like they get too much. It could probably limited by what they could do with effects and whatnot. But in this movie, I mean, you get like the Dracula turning into smoke. You get the Dracula being like this very like darkly magic, uh, magical, uh, uh, character. You know, he turns into the rats. He's a wolf. Uh, his vampire form has this very like, like more, more like almost like a werewolf appearance to it. Like this very like hairy mammalian thing but also like this bat creature like there's some parts of it that are just like really cool i mean poor fucking lucy he's like he's like getting hot and heavy with her in that one part you know so visually the movie is very striking and that's where i think this movie really uh thrives in is the visuals i mean just gary oldman's fucking hair alone is yeah like like what is that <laughs> you know but yeah he that's what is great about it like the the visuals the vibe um just from that perspective it's it's a really gorgeous film to look at and like and i can appreciate that they still used a lot of practical effects with kind of of the era stuff i mean this came out just before jurassic park too so i guess you were yeah. sort of on the cusp of you know cgi really taking over because they still use a lot of like just they animated it on the film you know like when he uh, another thing I love about this, and this is sort of a small thing, is just the his carriage dude, like the guy who picks up Jonathan Harker. That yeah. guy's great. Love that. Love the weird arm and, and everything. So interesting, just to kind of bring that up, because you haven't seen the original Dracula. So if I could say two things, see the original Dracula. If you have the box set that I'm thinking of, because I have the similar box set. Yeah. Also watch the Spanish version, which is actually superior to the Todd Browning 1932 Bela Lugosi version. Um, but in many of the releases that's also dracula as the carriage person 
it, it, it's just another version and mm. Coppola purposely makes it kind of opaque here but in many other versions of Dracula the person picking him up is in fact Dracula it's just another one of those small beats that's just again I, there's so much about this movie that uh, that affects me personally uh, from just how it calls back to the original filmed versions to the, the in-camera effects to the operatic tone uh, to the point that again the protagonist is the monster in this piece that it's I, I, I am blind there are flaws Kenner Reeves is a flaw um, but I, I am largely um, a, happily blind to any other flaws it has because of what it does for me uh, John I know you haven't talked a lot but I think when we <laughs> talked when I said hey I'm picking Dracula as my pick I think you were happy that I picked Dracula I, as my pick you have good I, feelings for this right I do of course and uh, I want to uh, put my uh non-existent uh, literary uh, critic hat on for a second uh, because this movie is called Bram Stoker's Dracula and I want to tell you a, a little story uh, about my history with Dracula which is that I didn't I'd seen some random vampire movies here and there but it was never my thing um, for I mean if you go back and listen to old episodes of the podcast, getting nightmares at Little Mermaid and stuff, that should be pretty obvious as to why that was never my thing. Uh, but in grade 10 English class, my teacher assigned us to read Dracula, like the the original novel. And I was like, OK, well, I, I guess I'll read this. And I and the the structure of the, the book, of course, is that like it's a series of letters between people and newspaper articles and clippings. And I think the movie does actually a pretty good job of like replicating that that feeling. But since it's it's a you're reading just reading letters you're hyper fixated and limited to the perspectives of the people who are writing them and you never get that stuff from dracula so the the i think that something that i only clued into on this most recent rewatch is the is chris's point that while the the events of the book largely are you know follow what happens in in the in the novel um the I remember the first time I ever saw the movie, I was like, man, this subplot between Dracula and Mina is isn't they invented it for the movie. And it's like it's a good movie, but like it kind of distracts from like what Dracula is. And now we're watching it again, being like, oh, man, this is actually a much this is like the best of all worlds, because yeah. in because something that I and I really was drawn into like the the mis the mystery aspect of the original novel of like trying to piece things together and how slowly and subtly everything all the details come together and like in a in a movie where you can just see everything it's hard to replicate that feeling because you're not as limited in the information that you have um and then of course also learning many years after the fact after having read that book that like largely the big metaphor of the original Dracula in the novel is that they're scared of Eastern European immigrants coming to England. Um, the whole point is about <laughs> Dracula coming to England and buying land and stealing and just defiling their women. Uh, if, if, in the Can't light have of a 19th that, century uh, horror story without a little bit of racism. Just in yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> when, when, you, when you come face to face with that, I was just like, oh, well, that's... I don't actually want to see a movie of, that deals with that kind of thing. And so the I think what the genius of this movie does is it does put Jonathan Harker largely to the side. And by coming up with this new completely invented subplot for Dracula and Mina, 
it and and putting them as or well dracula i guess is as the as the central protagonist you get his motivation you get his like i tried to do right by the church and the church totally fucked me and now i'm going to take vengeance forever and i'm like hell yeah that's a th- I'll watch that movie. I don't want to watch a movie about British people being scared of immigrants. I want to watch. Uh, I want to watch Dracula I can watch make that a deal on with CNN. the devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, it but, definitely but I think- has that '90s sort of. Um, it's very like sort of epic in scope, and like you can tell because it's Coppola. I mean, he did The Godfather, but I think I think the reason why. Some people like I, I by no stretch dislike this movie. I think it's actually like a pretty fun movie overall. I think people don't like it because they were expecting like something a bit more serious. And I do think that the movie comes across a lot more like kind of corny and hammy. I mean, I think part of the problem is like some of the acting and some of the some of the script writing is not like the best or the delivery is not amazing. And and uh, but it's not like it's not terrible and it's way more easy to digest than like just some other movies, like to be perfectly honest. But like this really has more of like more of like a like a Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of vibe where yeah. you you feel like yeah, you're getting a full story, but it's still like a lot of fun and you're getting like the human drama. I mean, this movie is so like hyper dramatic, like it is never boring. No, no, it's not. And what? And that could be because there's something actually really fucking cool happening on screen, like visually. It could be because Anthony Hopkins is being insane. He's, like one he's of my favorite ripping the the sets apart with his yeah. One of my favorite lines is when he's so excited when he finally figures out that it's uh, Dracula, and then he's like. Uh, and he and he's just like and your wife she's gonna be the bitch of the devil like he's just oh my god that I, line I, I mean he says something like more horrible but I, which i'm not gonna say but like just how he was like almost gleefully embracing how yeah. shitty the situation was yeah that I, was really I, fun about it i riffed on that bitch of the devil line to my wife for a good solid five minutes after it was done i was like this is this is glorious like this i think from from the from the production design the costumes the acting choices with obviously the noted exceptions um just like from the the you know the the moment like when it's this is dracula this is a story that has a lot of sex in it so like on in every conceivable fashion it's always the most and and there's no reserve uh, oh, there's no th- this there's movie no has a lot back. of like crazy sex stuff in it i mean it's got like you know it's got your sorry go ahead i was gonna say just it just feels like everyone just did like dump trucks worth of cocaine and then said we're yes. going to have ourselves a horny horny scary time it just feels like in in a way that is impressive like you don't see that replicated a lot in on that kind of scope or scale this movie is very like sex positive it's just like you've got your fucking boring generic you've got your boring generic relationship with jonathan and mina jonathan almost is like there's a threesome you know because dracula's got his three wives um it's kind of funny that one of them is monica bellucci 
Um, you know, obviously you have like the Dracula and Mina relationship. And then there's a scene of like beastly Dracula, like banging Lucy. And like, that's just like, that that's like creepy. And it's very like bestial. And yeah, it's, it really, it, it taps very heavily into the like overly romantic, um, like Gothic romantic aspect of, uh, vampires, yeah. you know, not so much like the, oh, they're like a disease or a vermin or you, like a like if it's like Blade, you know, uh, Dracula is a vampire, but he's like the vampire. There could be some other vampires, but he's the vampire as far as we're all concerned. You know, this isn't Blade where they're a society. You know, it's not an isolated uh, story like Let the Right One In or something like that. You know, this is a very like Shakespearean broad tale. And Again, I think that it overall is a very fun, engaging film. It's just there's parts of it where I'm like, man, I wish this was like, I feel like it's trying to be so deep, but it's not. You know, you're not getting kind of the same thing you got from like The Godfather or uh, The Conversation. Like, I think The Conversation is like a way denser film than The Godfather. Oh, the totally, Godfather totally. is very like, it's very epic and, and, and. Like it's not high concept, but everything is very dramatic, but it still feels very like analyzed and thematic and, and everything. Cause it's, I don't know, it's the Godfather, you know? Um, but that I would say it's a totally watchable film. Like if you, it's it. And honestly, it, much better than I think a lot of the contemporary blockbusters. I think Chris, previously you had talked about, uh, Winona Ryder and sort of her, you know, the, 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 I don't know whether you want to call it pure or chaste or vanilla or boring or whatever, but like in the, in, in her introduction, she's, she's talking with Lucy, I think. And they're, they're she, Lucy's trying to get her to talk about their sex life and she won't do it. And like, she well, finds find a, a copy co- of the Kama Sutra, right? And they say, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> yeah. It, it feels, it feels like she's going more for a, it feels like she's going more for like a repressed yes. vibe. Like that this is more like, it's not so much that she's happy to not be having sex. She's showing, she, she desperate seems like to desperately want to that's, and that's just sort of and because she, she keeps talking if there's about anyone married, chased she, in the yeah. movie it's actually jonathan it's actually keanu reeves right because there are those <laughs> moments where she tries to kind of initiate things and go crazy um and and he's just kind of he keeps pushing back which which again works toward the movie's intent to have her paired with Dracula and not Jonathan. And I think that that's one of the great parts of this movie, like another director or another studio taking the Dracula story would ultimately have Jonathan as the hero and have Lucy end up with Jonathan, have Lucy, uh, have Mina end up with Jonathan at, at the end. She is salvaged from her um, prurient thoughts and her sexual proclivities that she is wants to entertain because those were the thoughts put into her head by the bestial Dracula. Uh, this movie has none of that. This movie is like, nope. no, fuck you. Sex is awesome. These two want a bone. And at the end, they're the ones who are meant for each other, not this chase bonehead who is woefully miscast in the film. Uh, it's these two. And that's how the movie ultimately kind of ends. And I love it for that. Um, and I just want to say, because I just was, I, I can't help now that Dylan's put it in here. I can't help but stop. I can't stop thinking about Tom Waits. When we talk about some of the... Um, imagery of how these monster movies kind of affect us if i'm not mistaken this also has this like the, the there's a crazy uh 
let me, let me jump back here. My thoughts are a little scattered. It should be noted that Bram Stoker's, Bram Stoker's Dracula, huge monetary financial success, $40 million budget, made over $215 million, won three Academy Awards, best costume design, best sound editing, and best makeup. I want to talk about the costume design for a second, because one of the things that constantly stays in my head beyond the red armor of Dracula, which is phenomenal, is the straight jacket that Tom Waits wears as Renfield. And I just remember how weird it mm -hmm. looked and how it kind of elongated his body and his arms in particular. Um, and it's just one of those things that, again, it's just all these weird touches. And there's this wonderful scene between Mina and, 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 and Renfield and Tom Waits is kind of imploring her to stay away from this person. But, you know, any good love story worth its weight knows that in a situation like this, you're not going for the safe route. You're drawn to the danger. You're drawn to the passion, not to the safe bet. And the fact that this movie carries through on that message and says, no, at the end of the day, I'm not going safe. I'm going to be with the burning. I'm going to be with the fire that is going to extinguish me. Uh, I, I, <laughs> again, I realize I have a personal stake in this film, but I love that it ends where it ends. It's just such a wonderful disjointed weird loony film to come out in 1992 of all years yeah <laughs> the vibe of this movie reminds me of i feel like this movie had a huge impact on steven summers because this feels like the vibe <laughs> he was going for with the mummy now the mummy doesn't quite hit the levels of this in terms of the drama but it still kind of does. And I am a total stand for the first Mummy film. Oh, and I love it. I think it's a great blockbuster. I feel blockbuster. like Steven Summers is kind of merging this and, and Spielberg's Raiders. I mean, because yeah. Brendan Fraser is Indiana Jones, essentially. Yes. And he's and in he a Dracula movie, basically. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now, now, I feel like if Brendan Fraser was Harker, he wouldn't have done the British accent. He would have just been Brendan Fraser and yeah. we would have all loved it. And it would have been great. Um, but, uh, but then you think about when he did Van Helsing and I'm like, oh, he really tried to do Dracula and he really fucked up here because that movie is See, that's what happens. Yeah. That's the difference, right? That's the difference between Coppola taking a film like this and Stephen Summers taking a film like this. Stephen Summers takes this film and you get Van Helsing. Coppola yeah. takes and he's like, I and, want, and, I want Frankenstein, and I right. want a werewolf, and I want creepy little minions, which I thought were the best parts of the, that movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Coppola you know? takes it, and to your point, Dylan, you get the Godfather of, you get Dracula as the Godfather. I mean, that's you get that kind of yeah. large scale epic storytelling, um, and. It just, it, it, again, it, it does nothing to diminish my love for this film. It just, it just emphasizes it even more. I really love this movie. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about Dracula. I mean, I think it's, I think it's very silly. And yes, Keanu's a wee, a very big weak part of this. And, you know, I could, I think the script could be a little tighter, but overall, I think it's a, a perfectly watchable film, especially given that it's two hours long. It, it has some pacing problems, but I think that it is, still enjoyable enough uh and there's and it's a visual spectacle like that's definitely the part of it that they they nail you know and uh props to i believe william stout did some concept design and he's a favorite mm. artist of mine i love his visual uh, st uh style um if you know the film 
uh, Wizards or any Ralph Bakshi stuff. He did sure. design work for them. Uh, he's I think he designed like the the hunter robot on the two legged alien horse thing, whatever that fuck that is. Um, but I love that image. So, yeah, it's a, it's a visual spectacle. It will definitely keep you entertained for sure. It's a good it's a very good, like classic romantic style of a monster movie. On that note, let's jump to our recommendations segment. Dylan, you got any movies you want to recommend for us tonight? Uh, well, if we're going to keep with the theme, I did make a quick little list of uh, six, uh, actually seven movies that I think you should watch in the monster movie realm. If you want an amazingly terrible, bad monster movie that is just like, you know, direct to video, watch Shark Attack 3, Megalodon. It's fucking like <laughs> hot garbage, but it's a wonderful just dumpster fire of a film. Um, surprisingly good recent one would be Crawl, which was directed by the guy who did High Tension, which I never saw, but I Alexander I Aja. Has, yeah, he has a uh, he has a very kind of, that movie has a very polarizing response but i thought that was a very good uh thriller movie with alligators in a basement and i'll vouch for it i i saw it and i really enjoyed it yeah it's a very very fun tense film um if you want a really like like a cheesy gore fest i'm a big fan of carnosaur it's a jurassic park ripoff has like the worst dinosaur puppets but it's bloody and gory and it's just it's it's not it's not a great film but it's a blast <laughs> if you want classics that i think are great i would go with uh the original godzilla film gojira um all, as well as them i'm a big fan of them which i think set the standard for a lot of the 1950s movies yeah. as well as being a very obvious influence on aliens also a great film um another pretty good postmodern uh, monster movie would be colossal which actually has a lot of like big star power behind it with Anne hathaway and um i love uh, that movie oh oh we got some fans here yep. yeah it's a yeah. very it's a very weird movie um there's some parts of it that are a little my bit brain odd, is but stuck I, there's an snl guy who stars in that as well jason yeah, sudeikis, I, jason sudeikis, sudeikis that's yeah. his name yeah and there's some other name people in it but that's a that's actually kind of a, a, a pretty good postmodern movie i would say um check that out and then in terms of just overall being like a pure banger the iron giant which oh. i mean i think you could argue yeah. is like in some ways a monster movie but it's just a brilliant movie yeah i don't know a fucking person that does not like it and it's it's great and uh you know what i'm just gonna throw it into fucking tremors because tremors fucking rules tremors does rule well, uh, yeah, that uh, that's certainly going to put uh, my list of uh, things to shame. But I'm gonna I'm gonna deflect for a bit and let Chris uh, absorb uh, uh, absorb that shame instead. <laughs> Chris, yeah, what you got no, for us tonight? oh man. Uh, so I I only had one, but I'm gonna actually do uh, I'm gonna do at least two, and if my brain kind of thinks fast enough, I might do three. Um, so the first one I want to talk about. So obviously we brought Dylan on. We were originally talking about a lot of different topics when it came to monster movies, and we, we were talking about maybe doing Godzilla movies, uh, King Kong movies, um, all of which again those are the monster movies along with the Universal stuff that I grew up on. Um, we were having a pre-chat before the um, podcast proper, and uh, I'm going to steal one of the things that you were talking about, Dylan. Um, when you talk about God, 
Godzilla movies. There's a lot of stuff out right now, including the, the the most recent kind of three movies from the legendary company. But man, for my money, one of the best Godzilla movies out there, um, Shin Godzilla or Shin Gojira, yeah. um, the, the most recent one from uh, Japan fantastic monster movie that really dives into uh, the bureaucracy of what happens if a giant lizard comes and tramples your city. It's, it's one very, of the it's best It's very ones. Troll Hunter. It's it very is. similar it, to Troll Hunter. There is such a similarity to that. Um, but it does things with Godzilla in a realistic perspective that none of the other movies have ever attempted to do. Um, and it's just fantastic. So if you have the opportunity to see that, go ahead and see that. The one that I originally brought to the table, um, I'm not nearly as keen on, but probably everyone is going to be talking about it because it just came out yesterday as of the time of this taping, which is May 22nd. And that is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Everybody knows Zack Snyder oh, yeah. at this point. Everyone has talked uh, or has probably an opinion on what Zack Snyder is doing or saying about Justice League and the Zack Snyder cut. We talked a little bit about that on the last episode of Cinema Duel. This is his latest movie. It's part of a franchise that he kind of negotiated with Netflix when Netflix bought the rights to the film. Um, it's him somewhat going back to the roots of the movie that kind of made him, which was his remake of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, the difference That's is Dawn movie. of the Dead had James Gunn writing the movie. Uh, Army of the Dead has Zack Snyder writing, directing, and also acting as the director of cinematography. And it's, it's okay. Uh, it's good. It has some really inventive kills. Um, it has a really cool parallel to Troll Hunter, which is why I wanted to talk about it. It plays around with um, the mythology of zombies a little bit in a way that's really kind of cool. I mean, it's completely shallow, skin deep level. Um, it talks about uh, zombies hibernate. Zombies who stay out in the sun too long desiccate and kind of turn to dust. But if you rain on them, a thing that the movie stupidly never takes advantage of even though they mention it they come back to life for a little while while they're moist it talks about zombies having babies it talks about different types of zombies it talks about all these cool things it never really fulfills the promise of the mythology that it builds and just becomes a very kind of patented kind of no-brain action thriller with a bunch of people who go to go steal some stuff from las vegas does that mean you shouldn't watch it no you should probably see it, although I would really recommend, and I've read this elsewhere as well, probably Zack Snyder is not the best director of photography for Zack Snyder films. He makes some really weird choices with focus in this movie that kind of distracts me a little bit. But there's fun to be had. Uh, I am a sucker for zombie, for zombie movies. I think zombies are probably one of the most terrifying monsters out there. If I think about like what really scares me, zombies scare me because of the sheer volume and just the sheer unstoppable force of mindless kind of drones just coming and coming and coming. That's always terrified me. Um, this movie plays on that a little bit, has some really cool performances. It's fun. Is it great? No, it's not great, but you'll have some fun watching it. So I recommend it. To that, I will say that I think that there's another series on Netflix called Kingdom, which is out of South Korea. That is, I yes. think, pretty fucking awesome. That's a fun I, show. I started that series at the beginning of the quarantine, turned it off after two episodes because it was way too fucking at the time, very relevant and felt like way too close to home. Finished it much later on. Uh, it's two seasons right now. I think they're going to do a third one 
it's really good uh it feels to me it's kind of similar to game of thrones if it focused exclusively on the white walkers and none of the other bullshit um like that but it has the political angle it has like the family angle and it's really good i mean there's some stuff in it where i'm like you know it's not like perfect but overall it's a really fantastic story and it looks like they're going to be building it up to doing something bigger. So high recommend on that. My, uh, my rec, my lone recommendation for this, uh, for, to end this segment is going to be a movie that I think probably Phil, it, it has some neat intersections with, uh, Pacific Rim and Troll Hunter, which is, uh, 2010's Monsters by Gareth Edwards. Oh yeah. I like that. that yeah, that one, uh, it, it, this is basically a, an attempt at doing like a low budget indie, uh, indie version of a giant monster movie. Um, and so it, it feels like it draws, I don't think it does the, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think it does the found footage angle specifically, but you can definitely tell like they're trying to make the most out of a, uh, out of a very limited budget. Um, Dylan, this podcast is notoriously terrible about self-promotion, and we never do a good job of uh, really remembering to tell people to do all the things you do at the end of a podcast. But we'd like to, because we have a guest over, uh, try and do our best, uh, put on our best manners and have you tell us a bit about where people can find you, the kind of stuff that you're doing on the internet these days. So take it away. Well, if you like heavy metal specifically do metal stoner metal drone metal that kind of stuff uh you should check out my podcast it's called diary of doom where i talk to bands i talk to fans i talk to artists um i talk to uh record label owners um anybody who's sort of associated with the fandom of that scene and in the peripheral uh i talk to them and you know whatever it may be about you know i have uh repeat guest uh john's been on himself um and we did two parts and it was a great conversation uh so you can check that out uh it's out every thursday um i do a side podcast called defenders of the cake where i uh started during quarantine where i wanted to keep up with my friends um that'll probably be coming to a uh an end kind of soon just because there's other things going on in my life and i need to focus but you can still check it out um just look it up uh but you can follow both of those on instagram they're just the names diary of doom and defenders of the cake like on facebook you know it's on spotify it's on apple you can check all that out go to my website i take pictures you know i'm you know looking forward to the days of when shows come back and hopefully i can take some more pictures um but that's that's about where it is. Uh, I'm not on Twitter because fuck Twitter. <laughs> you know what? That's not like that's actually a pretty good and reasonable take these days. So I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with it for sure. Um, on the Cinema Duel website front, uh, it's uh the Agnes Varda series is is progressing. It uh, the last uh, the last entry uh, was a bit of a slug, I won't lie. It's probably a low point, uh, but the um, but the next stuff coming up is is looking to be uh, better. So I'm hoping to, and, and also this coincides with just like all a, a lot of personal business going on right now that sort of kept me from away from some of this stuff. But I'm hoping to get back into it uh, with another piece in the next week or so, uh, and then we're pretty much like two thirds of the way done. So I'm uh, the end is in sight for for that series. Uh, Chris, uh, where I know that you're also sort of knee deep in a lot of personal stuff these days. Is there any sort of creative uh, stuff you want to plug? 
Yeah, sure. So a couple things. Um, I have, uh, it is May. I am participating in the May Vinyl Challenge, which means I have reinvigorated uh, my music website, Consume the Tangible, uh, which is at uh, consumethetangible.com, talking about uh, a whole bunch of different uh, albums. So you can check that out there. I'm still occasionally writing, but I'm mostly doing producing and editing for Nine Circles right now. But I always recommend John occasionally, sporadically, when a full moon is there and the full moon is blue and the Canadian uh, air is just right. John also writes there as well. But I'm doing a lot of producing and editing for Nine Circles. So if you, again, if you're into metal of all types of genres, go and check that out. Uh, on the music front, I am terrible at promoting my own stuff. My last album, Hymns of the Forgotten Light, uh, is still out and still available, although we are uh, luckily, thank you guys very much, down to the last like half dozen of CDs. Uh, so uh, what's going on with that right now? In the next couple of months, there will be a couple of new releases out there, uh, including some re-recordings of demos. And believe it or not, I have actually gotten off my ass and started writing again. So uh, there might be an EP at the end of the year uh, that is in progress right now and is distinctly much harsher and more black metal than anything I've done lately. So uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, so you can check all that stuff out on Bandcap, ne Necrolytic Goat Converter. Bleh. The name is so long, even I can't say it anymore. Necrolytic Goat Converter. Uh, other than that, uh, that's all I got, John. <laughs> I was glad that you said Necrolytic Goat Converter at the end because I was like, he's going to go through that whole thing without saying the name of his no, band. No, I remember. And I'm it, have you know to what? It's it been there. so long. I've been working on the freaking re-recording of the demos for six months now, and I'm only like a quarter of the way done. So uh, in the middle of doing all that boring stuff, like you start to fuck around with other things. I'm like, oh, hey. Even though I said I'm not going to do any more music for the band, like, oh, I just came up with this and came up with that. So uh, despite the fact that I said that that was the end of new music uh, last year, I think there's going to be an EP. So stay tuned. Uh, fun stuff. I mean, and yes, at the very least, you managed to remember to plug your music stuff. Uh, I do believe that there are still a handful of tapes left of the Wallowing in Misery EP from my uh, project Domesticum, which are available through Philip K. Discs. So go bug Jeremy and order some tapes. Uh, I think, Dylan, you got one, right? I have one of those. I have one, too. Nice. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you all for joining us uh, for this chat. Uh, yes, Chris, that is a lovely looking tape. Uh, <laughs> Dylan, it was so much fun having you on here to chat movies. And uh, uh, I guess uh, at some point in the future, we'll have to pencil in a Harry. How uh, what's the name again? Ray Harryhausen. How dare Harryhausen you, Harryhausen or Neon Genesis, either or. I'm happy you know what? To yeah, yeah we're ostensibly a, a a film podcast, but we may have to make an exception. Just talk about how batshit insane <laughs> Evangelion is. Well, I've kept you all for as long as I think uh, our bedtimes allow, so I'll uh, I'll let you folks get out of here and uh, you know stay safe, everyone. We're you know hopefully people are getting vaccinated and staying safe as 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 it makes sense uh, for them, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.